Brothers and sisters, I want to introduce you to someone that who is sort of my second voice together with a few others in a way. Did, did you know that every week at the Asian Fellowship table outside, we have the message ready in, in Chinese? We have a translation team. It's a labor of love. Min um, Shigematsu, Pat, and Joy, who's next to me, do this. So if, if you come and, and your English isn't as good as your Mandarin, then you can go ahead and pick one of these up. And they're online every week, too. But with that being said, I want to introduce you to Joy Ling. Um, Joy, I'm so glad the Lord led you to our church. Thank you. Yeah, and um, this is Lunar New Year. Last night, I think many people had a big pre-New Year dinner with, I've always heard, great food. And uh, today I just thought we would take a few moments because I've come to love uh, the celebration of, of Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. So I'll just start this way. Um, Joy, today I'm going to be talking about following Jesus. How long have you been a follower of Jesus? I've been a follower of Jesus for about three years. For three years. Yes, sir. And um, how long have you been coming to Lake Avenue Church? Uh, I moved to Southern California at the end of uh, 2011, and I've been coming ever since. So. Oh, I'm so so glad. Now, now you were on Wall Street, right? Oh, yeah, because I, uh, I went to Rutgers for finance as an undergrad, and I graduated, and I worked uh, in finance um, until... Uh, yeah, the market <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> went down. <laughs> were, now, you, were you responsible for that? Uh, I, I am responsible. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. That's a why. <laughs> I think there's truth. Um, now, Joy, you grew up in Taiwan or were born yes, there. Yes. And some of your family is here this weekend, right, or this period of time? Yes, my uh, parents uh, came in for Chinese New Year's. Um, they're going to be here a little bit later. Okay, good. Now, what are some of the things you celebrated your whole life, Chinese New Year? What are some of the things mm -hmm. at Chinese New Year that you have loved doing? Oh, growing up, um, I really liked having those beautiful poems that to put on door frames. Um, it's a tradition that uh, it's, um, and it's always in red because red, you know, it's, it's a good color. <laughs> I knew. It, <laughs> it that welcomes um, that the blessing. Also, I feel red is powerful. It's like power blood, mm -hmm. and it just brings that renewal mm -hmm. strength into the household. So it's funny because it's really similar to the Bible, and uh, we do we just do that. Oh yeah. Now these red envelopes. Did you ever get any of those? I did when I was little. Uh, only when you're little. I, I notice when people get them, when you just pull one out, people smile. <laughs> so there are good things inside that too. <laughs> now, uh, Joy, has any of your celebration of Chinese New Year, which uh, if you will talk with folks who have celebrated Lunar New Year, there's so many beautiful pictures of new beginnings, mm -hmm. of new beginnings and the opportunity to start again. Has any of that taken on a new meaning for you in these three years that you've followed Jesus? I feel um, now to me it's even more personal. Uh, this time is to just honor my family. And the Bible teaches us to honor our father and mother. And it just definitely gives me more meaning to do so. Uh, and I feel uh, it's a great time to honor that, um, that, that relationship and just 
gives me more strength and, and gives me more meaning to do things because I know where I'm going. And uh, it, uh, it's, I feel much more grounded and gives me less center to, because uh, I want to bring my family closer to God and I really want to reach out to them. And, uh, and in turn, they feel that love and that they want to be part of it. So it's, it's just amazing. Well, I think that sets us up for what Jesus talks about today, Joyce. I'm looking Absolutely. forward to it. Will you wish us a new year happy uh, today? I think that's the order, isn't it? When you say it in Chinese. Happy New Year. Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year. Thank you, Joy. And, and you're also going to uh, read scripture for us. God bless you. Our scripture reading today is found in Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before I begin the message, I have to mention one thing to you. Um, our youth ministry team here, our, our students' ministry team is remarkable. We've been having this crisis going on in our community with uh, the fugitive Christopher Adornan, who's been on a, wanting to be on a shooting spree and is now hiding. And one of the places that everyone thought he might be is in Big Bear, up in the Big Bear Lake area. And our uh, student ministries was supposed to have a retreat there this weekend. And at the very last moment, through much thought and I think wisdom and prayer, Pastor Jeff Matisich and his team chose not to take our students there. I think that's right, don't you? And then they had just a few hours to prepare a, a great, great evening here for our students. I got to come and take part in a little bit of it. And it just made me so thankful 
for the people that we have to serve with here, leading student ministries. Uh, Somehow I've got to get my uh, grandchildren here by the time they get into student ministry so that they can be in the ministry of this team. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. And if you see any of our, both lay leaders and our pastors, thank them. We have wise, godly people leading us, and I'm so thankful to serve with them. Well, it was about a year ago that I went back uh, and picked up my dad, who's now living in Bristol, Tennessee, because we had to move him out of my family home in West Virginia. So I went and picked him up, and we took a trip back to my hometown, to Bluefield, and visited the places that mean a lot to both of us, our family home. I went and saw my uh, old high school. I think I have a picture here maybe of my junior high school. Now, it's much bigger than that. It was. It's been torn down. It was condemned. It should have been condemned when I was there. (laughs) It was just not a good building. But we started telling stories. My dad and I are both storytellers. You know that's true of me. And one of the stories that came to my mind as I read this week's text, the one that Joy read for us, was by a ninth grade basketball coach because junior high went up to ninth grade in my school. He had, um, he was an old ex-Marine I thought old, I mean, when you're a junior hire, he was probably in his mid-50s, but uh, he, he was an ex-Marine and he had just come back from Vietnam and uh, I think he had one goal in life, to get this young generation in shape. And so he had the most rigorous basketball practices I could ever imagine. So after one of these basketball practices, he would have us engage in what he would call um, wind training. He's going to build our endurance up. And some of you who've been in sports, you know what some of this is. We started with the old wind sprints in the gym. But then afterwards, he said, no, I'm going to lead you now in another run. And he would take us outside and up and down the hills in West Virginia into the building again and up and down the stairs. Um, Now, on the first day of practice, he told us he was going to do this. But he said to us, this may seem hard for you, but I'm always going to run ahead of you. And he said, I'm going to do this just to show you students that this is not all that hard. Because if an old man like me can do this, uh, then surely those of you who are in the prime of life, it'll be no problem. This You will never be run into the ground by an old man, will you? Yes, we were. (laughs) The reason I still still tell the story is that there are few things in my entire life that have been more difficult than following that man up and down the hills and up and down the stairs. I'll tell you, why did that story come to my mind when I read the end of Mark chapter 8? It's because in this section, when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, the phrase that he uses is to follow him. And in this section, it really is going to be perfect for this time of year. We, We start with Ash Wednesday and then go into what has been called the Lenten season, What we are starting to do, and we'll take it all the way up through Christmas, is take this time when Jesus was in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was north of Jerusalem. And then he starts taking this journey that will lead him relentlessly all the way to Jerusalem, where his disciples thought he'd set up a political kingdom. But he was going to set up a kingdom. But it was going to be an eternal kingdom. Now, the path that he takes, and usually it's only referred to in the last week, is called the Via Dolorosa. Have you ever heard that? It means the street of anguish or the the street, the pathway of suffering. 
Many people look at that just where he carried the cross. But in many ways, the Bible says that that Via Dolorosa really is a trip that Jesus took that starts here in Mark chapter 8, really with verse 27. And he says, and it, it occurs nine times in just a few chapters, this phrase, I'm on the way, on the road, on the way. Everybody thought it would be an easy way to lead to his political triumph. It was going to be a difficult way that would lead through crucifixion to his death, but ultimately to resurrection. And in the midst of this, as he was heading toward a place where three times he will say, the path that I am going to be taking is going to be a pathway in which I will be killed. He calls people to follow him. I'm not going to leave you alone, but you must follow me. So look in chapter 8, verse 34, in the light of that. Jesus said, just as he was going to start on this path, this Via Dolorosa, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So these were all the people. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Now, I'm telling you, in our generation, when people keep talking about show up at church so that you can be healthy and wealthy, show up at church so that you can somehow get God to give you what your best life right now, when we come to see the words of Jesus, we've got to see that his call to us is not always an easy one. But I hope also that today as I talk about this, I don't want to just talk about, as the song says, what he takes away, what it costs, but what we gain, which is what life is all about. So today that's where we're going to start. What I want you to know what you should expect if you, and using the words of Jesus, follow Jesus. That's what Jesus rarely used the term, uh, ask me into your heart. He almost always used the phrase, follow me. I want you to know what Jesus said you and I should expect if we follow him. You ready to look at that? All right, first, he, he talks about what is lost or what sometimes we feel like is taken away. I, when, when Joy read this text, isn't it impossible to miss the fact that Jesus expected everybody who would follow him would experience a transformation of our lives, a redirecting of our lives? This, this whole series up to Easter, I'm calling Jesus Christ Life Changer. So he is saying, when you follow me, I'm going to lead you in a direction you otherwise would never go. Now, again, this particular time when Jesus said, follow me, it was clear, and he kept making it clear, that his destination, his journey, would be a pathway that would lead to people putting him to death. Now, now you shouldn't be surprised when you find that everybody was shocked by him saying that. And especially, this is where I'm going. Now, you come and follow me. Now, when, when uh, this last Christmas, uh, when uh, Heather, my daughter, was home and Mike and the three grandchildren and, and Brandon and Kelsey were all in the house, one day I just said, I'm headed out. Anybody want to go with me? And do you know what they said? Where are you going? Well, that's a good question. But, but if I answered, well, I'm going out and I'm going to be killed. And if you go with me, the same thing might happen to you. 
I'm trying to get you to put yourself into the shoes of what's going on here. And, and you might understand these disciples. There, there, maybe somebody would go with me if, because they love their dad or think I'm joking or something. But they think about it carefully. That's for sure, right? So it's important to notice what Jesus says in verse 34. We've got to get this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up a cross. So there are the two phrases. Self-denial. If you want to follow Jesus, what should you expect? Self-denial and cross-bearing. Does that sound attractive to you? Can I market that out and expect thousands to throng in? Let's figure out what he's saying. Self-denial. Notice, notice Jesus does not say deny things to yourself, but deny yourself. It, it troubles me about the Lent season that many people have sort of um, minimized it. To saying, oh, I'll tell you what, Jesus said to deny yourself, so I'm going to give up broccoli for Lent this year. Or whatever you... <laughs> Those of you new to church, you don't even know about that. But it's, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent this year. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something fundamental to ourselves. That generally, the way you and I live is we're going our own way. It may not be working, but we still think I'm going to find life if I get what I want. It is a way that we are self-directed, self-focused... And Jesus said, no, you must become self-denying. You must surrender all that you have to my wishes, to my will, to my way. That's what he's talking about here. So once again, I just think it's countercultural, even for the church in the 21st century and here in Southern California, that pretty much people come and say, well, I hope I really get something out of that. And it all becomes about us. And Jesus says, no, it's about me. Somebody who understood this was the Apostle Paul. That when we give our lives to Jesus, and that's really the way I want to put it, give our lives to Jesus, it changes our life. Do you remember what Paul said? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of the best definitions of what we should expect when we follow Jesus that I've ever seen. He said, now that I've met him, I no longer live for myself. I live for him who died and rose again. That's something I'll keep coming back to. The self-denial is not just bad stuff. Yes, when you follow someone who goes through a cross, you can expect it could be some challenges, right? But it doesn't end there. His path doesn't end with a cross. It ends with a resurrection. So that's, that's the hallelujah part of this. So in a world in which everybody almost always says, if you're going to really find a life, you've got to do things for yourself. Jesus says, if you will find a life, you have to pray every day. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Now, the second phrase that he uses is even more daunting, cross-bearing. Take up a cross. Now, growing up, when I heard people talk about a cross that we have to bear, it usually had to do with something like arthritis. Oh, that's the cross I have to bear, a little bit of pain there. Or an irritating mother-in-law or or a boss or something like that. Oh, those are the crosses I have to bear. I I just want you to know Jesus is talking about something much more profound than that. I want you to remember that Jesus spoke these words, take up your cross, before he went to the cross. So I, I imagine the disciples couldn't really understand what this was. Now, they knew what a cross was. Uh, public executions were even a part of the entertainment of his world. And the most painful and humiliating public execution was a crucifixion. Uh, The government, when there would be uh, uh, someone that they really wanted to humble in front of everybody, 
they would choose crucifixion for that. So it's clear that they would have understood, take up your cross. That means if I want to live for my own reputation, my own personal prestige, it might mean that if I follow Jesus, there will be some times in which I'm mocked and scoffed at and humiliated. You see what Jesus is getting at here. David Garland, who's a great Bible scholar, wrote this. He said, unlike some contemporary peddlers of the gospel, Jesus does not offer his disciples varieties of self-fulfillment or intoxicating experiences. seems like that's what we often try to do to get people to come to church. Jesus offers a cross, and he doesn't invite us to try the cross on for size to see if we like it. So disciples must do more than just survey the wondrous cross, a glory in the cross, and love the old rugged cross. Those of us who go to church, those are old hymns. Those are good things to do. But it's more than that. We must follow Jesus and live the cross. So here's what I want to say. What Jesus is asking us to do is to surrender all that we are to all that he is. I, I want you to know that when you follow Jesus, we surrender always wanting to go our own way. How can I get him to let me do this to his way? And it means you and I have to be open for anything that he may lead us to do, any encounter he may lead us to have, in any place he would have us to go. And we shouldn't be surprised when sometimes there are huge challenges and difficulties in the midst of this, just as Jesus experienced. And and he's not just using metaphors here when he talks about self-denial and possible crucifixion. Verse 35, whoever wants to hold on to his life and save it will lose it. But if you do lose your life for my sake, you will find life. Uh, Jesus knew that sometimes those of us who follow him will go through very difficult times simply because we follow him. He even knew that some of his disciples, if the gospel was going to break into the kingdoms of this world, that sometimes as people would follow him, their families wouldn't be happy about it. Uh, Their communities wouldn't be happy about it. He even knew that some of these disciples would experience so much loss, even the loss of their own lives. And make note of this, it's not just for the few really good followers of Jesus. Not just, uh, just for missionaries. We'll say, okay, it's only missionaries who have to do this. Uh, read through the language again, verses 34 to 38. The repeated language, whoever, whoever. And then three times, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone will come after me, you must deny yourself and take up a cross. Now, as, as I read about our brothers and sisters who followed Jesus through history, and as I'm now reading about our brothers and sisters around the world who are following Jesus in difficult places, I want you to know that the challenges we face in following Jesus are not always the same, but they're almost always very real. And I'm, I, have to, I want to preach a message like this to let you really know what we're getting into when we follow Jesus. Because I think people who do otherwise and just say, oh, it's all going to be just smooth, are not leading you down the Via Dolorosa. They're leading you down a garden path. Uh, These disciples, just think of what it meant for them to follow Jesus. The things that were important to the people and their culture and to them, many of them had to give that up. 
Some of them, their families rejected them. And they had to find a new family in the believers. And for some of these disciples, they did have to live, give up their lives. Like the Apostle Peter. And, and John had to give up his freedom at the end, living in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And as I've looked at it, following Jesus in my lifetime, as I've had friends who have gone into really challenging places, has meant so many things. Those who have gone because of the call of God into the communist countries have often found themselves being imprisoned, sometimes in solitary confinement. People who want to be genuine Jesus followers in places where often, if there are any other believers in Jesus, there are very few, have often found that they've been kicked out of the country or lost their lives. So the question that Jesus makes us address when we come to this kind of a text is, am I ready to follow and love Jesus whatever happens? What if it means a loss of reputation? What, what if in a, in a college, the old, the old frat buddies don't want to hang around with you as much if you really become a serious follower of Jesus? Uh, could it mean a loss of relationships? I mean, if you were consistently living for Jesus in the workplace, could it be that some people would say, I don't want to, I don't want to hang around with that kind of a person? Uh, could it mean, I mean, even, even for things like our own economics, could it mean you'll, you'll lose a promotion because people say, well, that guy's just too religious? Or, or if you own a business, could it be that your business won't be as lucrative for you personally because you insist on doing things ethically, right? Or you insist on paying your people just wages instead of just taking it for yourself. I mean, all of these are the kinds of things that when you follow Jesus, you know he wants you to be that way. That doesn't mean sometimes if you and I follow Jesus, some things that we think are perceived pleasure. Maybe are, are there some places we won't go if we really want to please Jesus and we're following him and we know he wouldn't go there. I'm not going to go there and do those things. I just find so many of us are willing to be a little bit religious as long as that's all we have to do. And I read, I read the life of Jesus and I just find that he says, don't expect staying in your comfort zones. If anyone will come after me, you must be ready to deny yourself and follow me wherever I go. I think my first year that I came here, I told you about the time that as soon as the uh, communist walls and the Soviet Union came down, I was asked to go over and visit some of the churches that had been there uh, during communism. So I got over to the former East Germany, and then the other place I went into, the former Czechoslovakia and the Czech Republic. And when I was in the, in the Czech Republic, I had this privilege of meeting with the leadership of the uh, Czech brethren, Cirka Braska, is what it was called. I'm sure I pronounced that as bad as I would Happy New Year in Mandarin. Um, but the head of it is a man named Pavel Czerny, or at least he was then. He and I, we had an, almost an entire evening together with his other leaders to talk about following Jesus. And here's what he said. I, I wrote it up here so you can see it. He said, we had no Christian schools in our country. So he knew at that time I was going to become the president of a Christian school. He said, we had none of those in our country. But we had schools that taught us faith in God. The prisons were our schools. We learned how to trust God there. We followed Jesus and discovered that he is truly near us, even in prisons. 
our richest experience of God were often gained in the midst of loss. We learned how to live for God in difficult times. But you will have to teach us how to follow Jesus in good times. That's what he said to me. <laughs> now that communism is gone and, and we, we don't have to be in prison, you have to teach us how to depend fully upon Jesus in good times. In the light of Jesus' call to follow him anywhere and whatever it might cost, um, isn't the obvious question is, why on earth would any thinking person want to follow Jesus? Doesn't that occur to you? And when Jesus made it so plain, why has it been that throughout the ages, people have come to Jesus and found a life there and stuck with it and said, I'd give up anything for this. I mean, Joy, I'm so thankful that three years ago, you came to follow Jesus. Why would we do that? And the answer that Jesus gives is because we find everything that matters. So we've, we've seen what is taken away, but I, I don't want you to leave here without really recognizing what it is that Jesus gave his life. He didn't give his life to ruin our lives. I'll give my life, you follow me, and I'll just make a wreck of it. That's not, <laughs> Jesus wouldn't do that. And what he alludes to here are the three things that I have found brothers and sisters in every culture at every point in history have said that when they truly follow Jesus, this is why they love following Jesus. Why would we do it? Well, you just listen to these. Think about it. Pray about the fact that God would just have these things sink deep into your soul. Number one, because when we follow Jesus, we discover who must be at the center of our lives. And by that, a new meaning, a new meaning for life. That we have all these things in this world that seem to promise meaning. Watch every commercial if you buy this toilet paper, you'll have real meaning. In it. See the Super Bowl commercials. They're all promising life. Look at what Jesus says. So who, whoever wants to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save his life. Uh, that phrase is a paradox, of course. Yet I'll tell you, it's true. You know, you really haven't... Um, found life isn't worth living until you find something really worth living for. Uh, sometimes when we meet a, a young woman or a young man, we meet them and say, I wasn't really living until I met you. It's in every chick flick. And, and really, um, a relationship like that coming into our lives does bring new meaning to our lives. But there is one ultimate relationship you and I are made for, and that, that is for God. We're human. You and I are human. We, we haven't been made to live for temporary things. No. We've been made for God. Don't you feel that deep inside? And what Jesus is saying is, I've come to give my life. I'm going to go through, cross, through a cross to a resurrection that if you follow me, you will save your life. You'll find what real life is all about. The word that he uses for life is suke. It's a word for psychology. And it really has to do with the inner being of our souls. And what Jesus is saying is, if you put anything in this world in the center of your soul and live for that thing, he's not saying these things are bad, but you put those things in the center of your souls. When they don't last, you won't last either. Put God at the center of your soul and he cannot be taken away.
I, I tell you that in this act of, of giving our whole lives to Jesus, you and I find life. We find out what life is about. So that's the first thing. We discover who it is that we were made for. Uh, we find a meaning to life. Second, we discover who we are. Not just a meaning in life, but an identity in life. So what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his, his own soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your very soul? And my, my question to us is when we read this, do we really believe Jesus' words here? I mean, just think about it. How, don't we often think, okay, go out and if you buy a lottery ticket, this lottery is going to be for $479 million. And we think, if only I could win the lottery, then I'd find a life, right? And sometimes it becomes sillier than that. If only my team could win the Super Bowl. If only USC would beat UCLA. I mean, just the, you can fill in the blank in a thousand different ways. In our minds, we know that life isn't going to be found there. And so what happens is, and, and I find it here everywhere, not just here, but everywhere. Here in Southern California, people come trying to find a life and, and trying to, their identity is, what is their identity? I'm going to be a great actor or, or with the Grammys on tonight. I'm going to be a great singer, a successful one. Or you go to school, I'm going to be the biggest partier in school. I mean, you can come up with, I'm going to become the most successful business person in all of Southern California, that identity. And we sell almost everything to get that thing that we think is our identity. And as in Goethe's Dr. Faustus, sometimes being willing to sell our souls, our morality and our ethics in order to gain that thing. And when Jesus, Jesus says, when you do that, you give up your real identity. You give up your soul. I'll, I'll just tell you, when you follow Jesus, and you see it as you read about it, uh, representing him well in the world, uh, going his way rather than our own, telling others about him. That's when we begin to discover why God made us and put us here in the universe. So who are you? When you trust Jesus, do you know who you become? You're a child of God. You become one who knows you are made in God's image. You will always know that you are eternally loved by the eternal God. You are his. You, you gain new meaning. You gain a whole new identity. And then finally, the last thing I'll just point out, you gain a new destiny. We discover where we're going. We discover where we're going. Look at verse 38. So if anyone is ashamed of me, won't follow me, and my words, and here he's going to quote Ezekiel and Isaiah and a lot, in this adulterous and sinful generation. And by that, he means people who've given in to other kingdoms, other reigns, other things that lead us. Anyone who does that, who won't follow, the Son of Man or I will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with his holy angels. Now again, to get what Jesus is getting at here, remember that Jesus is calling people to follow him. Follow him. And he's saying that when we follow him, we'll always be close to him. And by that, that even though there's this persecution and for him it led to a cross, that's not the end of things. And what he's promising you and me is this, that he who's going to defeat a death through a resurrection, when we follow him, we're going to be close to him forever. 
And the promise is one that he says, someday he's going to complete his work. And he's going to come back again. Triumphant that time with the holy angels coming with him. And when we follow him, we will be with him forever. That's your destiny. That is your hope that death doesn't take our lives away. And then eternity, when we're close to him, now we'll be close to him there. Now, I've just got to say this. I've had people say to me, Pastor, but I don't think that you should get up there and make promises like you have an eternal destiny with God if you follow Jesus. Do you you feel that way? We should just follow Jesus. I may not have said that clearly. You, You should just follow Jesus because of who Jesus is, not for what you get out of it. And there's there's a bit of truth to that. This isn't a financial exchange where we get a greater profit margin than we otherwise would have had. You have a little bit of suffering here, but a whole lot there. I mean, what Jesus calls for is to know who he is and to know he is worthy to be followed. So that's true. But he does promise, and he does it a lot, that you and I, when we follow him, will find a life now, what we're here for, and this identity and meaning, but it is not going to end. That, that relationship with him will be always that his, he is going to come again, this time triumphantly. And when he does, he's going to set up a whole new world where it's just and there's no tears and there's no dying and there's no pain. Hallelujah. No debt. No tests you have to take at school. Think of anything. Fill it in there. Where all injustices will be done away with. And, and, and so that's a part of this thing. And so we right now can understand our eternal destiny. I mean, just think about it. What possible reason would there be for Jesus to give his life and for us to follow him if when we die, we just go to the grave and that's the end? And that this world is just going to be charred into some sort of dust. No, there's an eternal destiny. Heaven is real. And his promise to us is this, that those of us who follow him here will eternally be with him there. Jesus tells us, I wrote this down, I want you to think about this, quite plainly, that upon our opinion of him rests his opinion of us. And upon his opinion of us rests our eternal destiny. Our opinion of him, will we place our faith in him? When we say, I know who you are, I will follow you, then he will say, I will know, acknowledge you. And that means we have an eternal destiny. And here... The very next verse, he'll say that we're going to see some of his glory even before um, some of these people had died. And it leads right into the text that we'll look at next week. And I just thought this, who knows? The day where Jesus is going to completely bring everything to culmination might be nearer than you and I think. The the Bible says we don't know, but God can come and bring things to a completion at any time. Maybe there are some of us here who will not taste death before we see the kingdom of God. What do you think about that? And I'm telling you, your and my eternal state depends upon what we do with Jesus. And Jesus says we have a soul to gain, an eternity to gain when we place our faith in him. And Jesus keeps saying, no matter what advantage anybody in this world may think there is in remaining an unbeliever, 
Jesus insists that at the end of the day, you and I will know that we have paid too much and we have really gained nothing that lasts if we reject him. What good is it to gain everything in this world and then to lose our very souls? Uh, One of my very favorite parts of Shakespeare comes out of The Merchant of Venice. Uh, Do you know the scene near the end where the beautiful Portia has three suitors? Do you you know this? Well, we won't act it out here in our church, but it really is one of my favorite things. She has three young men who want to marry her. And so they, they come up with this way of determining which one would be the best. And they have three caskets. Yes, three caskets are brought in front of each one of the men. And they got to pick which one of the three they would choose. And the one who would be able to get the casket in which the picture of Portia was inside would get to have her hand. And so, you know, the first suitor comes up and chooses the silver casket. It has the uh, inscription, He who chooseth me shall get as much as he deserves. And if you remember, there's a fool's head inside of that one. So the second suitor comes, and he chooses the golden casket, which it's written, over which it's written, he who chooseth me shall get what many men desire. Mm-hmm. And inside that one, there's a skull. Only the good old Bassanio. You always have these great characters in Shakespeare. He's the successful one who gets her hand. He chooses the right casket. It was lead. And over it were these words. He who chooseth me must give and hazard all he has. Women, you should try this, single women, in case... He who chooses me must give and hazard all he has. Am I worth making a vow to? Am I worth being faithful to? And that's what Jesus invites us to today. The one who chooses Jesus must deny himself and take up a cross and follow Does it sound like a gamble to surrender your own life to whatever Jesus would have you to do and wherever he would have? Does it sound like a gamble? Jesus says it is a cost. How much is it worth to you and me to follow someone who loves us so much that he gave his life in our place? What kind of gamble is it to follow someone who bore the punishment for our sins upon himself and says, if you will follow me, there will be times of challenge and difficulty, but there is a life to be gained. So I'll leave you with the words of Jim Elliott, the missionary, do you know of him, who lost his life in um, carrying the gospel to a group of people who eventually put him to death. And what he said, echoing these words of Jesus, is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And what we gain in Jesus 
is something that can never be taken away. We gain our lives to his glory. Amen. Amen.